Greetings, and welcome to the SLIS Colloquia, a program now in our seventh consecutive semester brought to you by your School of Library and Information Science here at San Jose State University. I am Dr. Anthony Bernier, and along with Dale David, our technical producer, we are bringing you this series as part of our school's vision to be recognized as a leader in graduate education in library and information science. Before I introduce today's speaker, a few announcements. Please look for our new colloquia presentations on the SLIS webpage throughout the term. You will also find there a webcast archive of all of our previous seven semesters of presentations on the SLIS homepage at sliswb.sjsu.edu. We also offer our colloquia as free podcasts. Details on how to access these presentations, either through the RSS feeds or the iTunes store, can be found on the colloquia page. Viewers can also watch the SLIS colloquia on Blip TV, the popular video sharing website. The SLIS Blip TV channel can be accessed at sjsuslis.blip.tv. For our students, I would like to encourage you to visit a special website detailing the social networking opportunities the school offers for you to virtually connect with uh, SLIS students. It's on our, it's, um, our own social networking wiki site. The school also maintains another wiki called Cool Web 2.0 Tools, which offers a way to share and learn about the rapidly changing resources you'll want to know about. I also might remind you that we maintain a, dyna a dynamic homepage that should become something else you check regularly for school updates, resources, and news. Those comments are for our SLIS students, but for everyone else in the SLIS community, I'd like to call your attention to the school's receptions this fall at several of our professional conferences. Our ARMA reception will be hosted by Dr. Pat Franks in Orlando, Florida in mid-October. Also in mid-October, Dr. Ken Haycock and the faculty will be hosting a SLIS reception at the annual Internet Librarian Conference in Monterey, California. And at the end of October, Dr. Haycock and the faculty will be hosting our annual reception at the California Library Association in Pasadena. All the details and RSVPs are available on our school's webpage, and we hope that, uh, that you will attend these professional conferences and take the opportunity to become better acquainted with the faculty, as well as meet up with classmates, friends, and colleagues. We hope you enjoy the colloquia presentations, and thank you for helping to make the series a success. Joe Matthews is a seasoned speaker, workshop presenter, and consultant. He has appeared as the featured speaker at national and international library conferences and regularly presents workshops and seminars on such topics as strategic planning and management, exploring new strategies for service delivery, measuring for results for public libraries, evaluating uh, library services, measuring customer satisfaction, developing a, valuable, uh, developing a valuable technology plan, among many other topics. Mr. Matthews has taught uh, evaluation of library services, library information systems, strategic planning, management, and research methods. And many of those courses he taught right here at San Jose State University. As a consultant, Joe has assisted numerous libraries and local governments in a wide variety of projects, he has a thick publication record of books and articles. Among his more recent articles, the evaluation and measurement of library services, library assessment in higher education, both published in 2007, strategic planning and management for library managers in 2005, 
and technology planning, preparing and updating a library technology plan in 2004. Joe was selected as the uh, SLIS faculty's outstanding scholar in 2008. Thank you, Anthony, for the, uh, the kind introduction, and uh, thanks to Dale David for taking care of the, uh, the technical end so that we can make this uh, presentation uh, available to everybody on the SLIS website. Uh, so we're going to talk uh, today a little bit about uh, the balanced scorecard. Uh, it's a concept that's been around uh, for almost 20 years, and uh, so we'll, t we'll talk about uh, where it came from uh, and how it can be applied in a library setting and the fact that it's been applied uh, fairly successfully in uh, lots of different uh, uh, types of libraries. So without further ado, uh, let me also say that if you are, are, are <laughs> there's an image for a balance for you. <laughs> uh, if you are so inclined, I'd be happy to uh, email you the, uh, the PowerPoint uh, presentation for today. If you just uh, send me an email, uh, happy to, uh, to send it on to you. Okay, so what is the balanced scorecard? Well, the, the concept of the balanced scorecard came about uh, in uh, the late uh, 80s uh, because the accounting profession was being um, uh, criticized for their uh, pretty narrow view of an organization, in particular for-profit uh, corporations, which only really uh, provided information about their financial results. And if you think about financial results for an organization, uh, it's kind of like uh, driving a car and always looking in the rearview mirror because financial results are always after the fact. Uh, they're the financial results from last month, last quarter, last year. So it's not a forward-looking uh, direction for where the organization is headed. So a couple of uh, Harvard professors um, came up with uh, the concept of a a balanced scorecard. And basically the whole idea of the balanced scorecard is that it is uh, what uh, describes uh, organizational success. And that organizational success um, from their perspective is what allows uh, the use of a variety of performance measures uh, for an organization to track its, uh, its success as it moves towards uh, achieving its targets. So uh, the scorecard communicates uh, the goals and priorities of an organization, and it certainly can communicate uh, the goals and priorities of a library. All right. So uh, the two professors from Harvard, um, uh, Norton and Kaplan, uh, have written a whole series of articles in the Harvard Business Review, and they've also written a, a series of books about uh, uh, the scorecard. And they have a very uh, successful uh, consulting practice. Um, and in fact, they are currently working with the Association of Research Libraries on a project to develop balanced scorecards for large academic libraries. So the, the concept is uh, starting to be embraced um, by a lot of different uh, organizations. So the, the scorecard concept that uh, Kaplan and Norton came up with uh, has four perspectives. And the four perspectives um, are basically uh, or what some, sometimes is called uh, learning and, uh, and organizational readiness. Uh, one is an internal perspective, and that has to do with productivity. Another perspective is the customer perspective. 
And then finally at the top is the financial perspective. And so they suggest that you, you develop, you have some objectives, you have a set of measures, and they suggest for each perspective, say this is the customer perspective, that you have two or three measures for that particular perspective, no more than two or three. Then you set, once you've selected your measures, then you select uh, the target that you want to achieve, and we'll talk about setting targets. And then you might have some initiatives or some projects that you have in mind to help you achieve uh, your goals and objectives. Okay. So learning and growth perspective, sometimes called uh, organizational readiness, is all about three things. Uh, number one, staff competencies. Uh, do your staff have the skill and the experience not only to deliver services that are needed today, but will have the skills that are needed in the future? So it might lead to some measures, for example, talking about how much training staff go to um, uh, and those kinds of things. Also has to do with technology readiness. Uh, so both from a, an IT perspective of the of the network involved in the library, but also the uh, library automation and other, other technologies, library website, uh, so it's all about information technology. And finally, do, is there a climate for uh, change? Is there a climate for action? So that's the, the first uh, perspective. The second one is all about uh, internal perspective, and it has to do with productivity. And so productivity measures typically have two types of measures, and those are cost per activity and time per activity. And so, for example, most libraries uh, have a budget, and they have a line item budget, but very few go through the process of translating that line item budget into a activity-based costing budget. So they don't really have a good idea of what it costs to deliver a library service. So it might be uh, physical circulation, might be physical borrowing from the collection. It might be use of electronic services. It might be what is the cost to actually provide reference services? What is the cost to provide uh, programming, uh, children's programming hours in, in uh, public library? It might be what is the cost for us to provide instruction in an academic environment? Okay. So the internal perspective is making sure and it's answering the question, are we doing things right? And the right thing is, are we as cost effective as we can be compared to our peers? So when you go to a conference, it's really, for me, I, I go through this exercise, every conference I go to, and I talk to librarians, I say, what does it cost for you to, uh, for your circulation on a cost per item uh, basis? Does it cost $2 an item? Does it cost $3 an item? Some libraries, it's more than $4 an item. Well, if you have a million circulation, that's a lot of money to be spending on the loaning and retrieving, returning of materials, tracking overdues, etc. That's a very expensive process. And I think that's an area that a lot of libraries could really make some significant improvements on. Customer perspective is all, is all about answering the question, uh, does the library have a sustainable, differential value proposition? Why do people use library services? Doesn't make any difference what type of library, academic or public or special or school. 
but what is the value proposition? What is uh, the, the motivation for people to come to the library, either physically or virtually, uh, in terms of what do they get out of the process? Now, when I go to the library and I borrow bestsellers, that's one value proposition. I'm not having to buy uh, the things, right? So I'm getting free stuff. Uh, but when I want to read a bestseller, oftentimes I can't because there's no copies available. So I have to get in a queue. Well, if I have to wait nine months to read a bestseller, what is the value proposition for the library? And what is the message that that value proposition sends to the community? Yeah, we do bestsellers, but we don't do them very well, right? So the whole idea is to figure out the value proposition uh, for the library. And then the customer perspective is all about uh, product and service attributes, and we'll talk about that in a little while. Uh, another way of looking at the customer perspective is the relationship, how you deliver uh, services. Maybe you ought to be able to have some options so that there can be customization of service delivery options. And also, uh, we'll talk about uh, image. And then finally, uh, the financial perspective uh, for the balance scorecard uh, has to do with things uh, such as uh, productivity improvements, uh, revenue growth, and in a time of uh, shrinking budgets uh, because of the economy, of course, a lot of organizations will not meet uh, their revenue growth uh, projections, and also uh, revenue uh, diversity. For example, I know a library that 10 years ago, the library director was called in a public library and the city manager told the library, um, this is up in uh, near uh, British Columbia, uh, near Vancouver, they said, uh, we're going to be uh, setting money aside every year uh, so that we can build infrastructure for the Olympics, which are coming to Vancouver. So we're here to tell you every year for the next 10 years, the library budget, in terms of the revenue from the city, is going to go down 5% per year for the next 10 years. So next year, five, your budget goes down 5%. Year after that, it's the, the reduced 5% plus another 5%. So we're talking about huge declines in budgets, right? So the library director did something very, very smart. Uh, he did two things. He came to his staff and said, we're going to have to change the way we do business. We're going to have to become much more productive. We can't keep doing the same old, same old. He says, because the money's going to disappear. And then the second thing he did is he went out and he really got aggressive about fundraising. And so every year for the last 10 years, his budget has actually gone up because they've raised the differential from the community. And he's gotten very aggressive about fundraising in some very non-traditional ways and has gotten uh, uh, quite good at it. And uh, so the community as a whole has benefited even though the share of the pie in terms of revenue diversity, the share of the pie from the organization, the city, has gone down significantly. Okay. So why would you adopt the balance scorecard? Uh, three primary reasons. Number one, you might be interested in using it as a tool to help you change the organization. Uh, because one of the things that the balance scorecard does is it tells all employees what's important. Because that's what you're measuring. Okay. Second thing, it helps alignment in terms of making sure that each staff member knows what it is that they're doing and how it uh, benefits the, the organization. 
And then finally, it provides a real focus because you're able to track. So in terms of alignment, uh, I worked with uh, um, a community uh, down in uh, Carlsbad, uh, the Boys and Girls Club. And we uh, helped them put together a balanced scorecard. Not a very big organization. And we went out and we talked to uh, the, fundra- the, uh, the people that provide contributions to the Boys and Girls Club. And we said, how do you make uh, decisions about whether or not to give money to the Boys and Girls Club? And one of the things we learned, which was quite interesting, was the cleanliness of the outside of the building and the cleanliness of the inside of the building. Donors basically said, if you don't take care of what it is that we've given you money for now, why should we continue to give money if you're not going to take care of the facility? And so we went through a balanced scorecard. One of the measures we chose uh, with all of the staff members was cleanliness of the facility. And... um, I go play basketball at the Boys and Girls Club several times a week, and I've met a guy named Charlie, and Charlie is the janitor at the Boys and Girls Club, and he is, you know, you've seen the movie Grumpy Old Men? Well, he's the, he epitomizes the grumpy old guy, right? And Charlie hardly ever had a word for you other than a grunt. He never smiled. He was the janitor. So after we presented the balanced scorecard, I made it a point of saying, Charlie, you know, cleanliness of the facility is very, very important. And you have a a very big impact on whether or not the revenue coming into the Boys and Girls Club is going to continue and and get better. So uh, several weeks went by after we introduced the balanced scorecard. We uh, communicated to, uh, to the staff members. And then I encountered Charlie coming to play basketball. And he was whistling. He had a smile on his face. And I said, Charlie, what's happened to you? And he says, Joe, he says, I've decided I'm no longer a janitor. And I said, really? I said, what are you? His, you know, his, his day-to-day activities hadn't changed at all. And I said, well, okay, what are you? And he says, I'm an ambassador. I'm in the fundraising business. And he says, what I do counts. And he says, I never realized that before. Nobody explained it to me. He says, so... I'm in the fundraising business. Huge impact because it had, he finally understood what he did and how it fit into what was happening within the organization in terms of alignment of his activities. So who's using uh, the scorecard? Uh, Worldwide, uh, tens of thousands of organizations are using it. Lots of companies, agencies of the federal government are using it. The U.S. Army uh, is the world's uh, largest adopter of the balanced scorecard. Every single command in the U.S. Army must submit a balanced scorecard. State and local governments uh, are using it. A lot of nonprofit agencies are using it, and a few libraries. Um, And academic libraries, the University of Virginia has been using it probably the longest. They've been using it for about eight years now. If you go visit their website, you can see every single scorecard for the last eight years on their website, what measures they chose, what their targets were, and what they achieved. One of the interesting things about the University of uh, Virginia uh, early on, they, they decided that they wanted to set a goal that for the materials that were purchased um, by the library books, that uh, 60% of the books that were purchased would be used in the first five years. That was their goal. Now, in an academic environment, that's pretty unusual for them to set a goal like that. There's lots of research about academic libraries and how 
if something has not been used in the first three to four years of its life, it will never be used in an academic environment, right? Now, most academic libraries build just-in-case collections. Just in case somebody wants it, it will be there, right? And that just in case uh, that somebody wants it may not necessarily be somebody from that campus, but it may be from a, uh, through interlibrary loan, anybody in the world, right? But just in case, they're going to have it. So the, the goal then is that they set is for acquisitions, 60% of what we buy is going to be used in the first five years. And then they started publishing the results. They discovered that things like their profile uh, for the materials that the, they were purchasing automatically from vendors was, was not in tune with what uh, faculty was looking for and what students were looking for. So they made some real progress of achieving that goal over the last, uh, last few years. Okay. I mentioned uh, ARL is using it, and then IMLS funded a project uh, that uh, uh, I was a part of, and we developed a library balance card for public libraries, and uh, it resulted in this book called uh, Scorecards for Results. Okay. So for libraries, I've suggested that w rather than four, we might uh, libraries might have five perspectives. And so down here at the bottom, there's a financial perspective. And that's uh, because we want to, uh, because most libraries are publicly um, funded, we want to make sure that we are both have accountability and transparency and that we are demonstrating value for money received. And then for learning and growth, uh, organizational readiness, we've got staff skills and technology. That's pretty good. Then we have internal processes and it has to do with efficiency and productivity. And then a new perspective that I suggested is an information resources perspective. So it's use of the physical collection and it's use of electronic resources. Interestingly enough, very few libraries actually prepare a chart that's relatively easy to do, and that is to look at the amount of uh, downloading of materials from the electronic resources that the library subscribes to. And then you, you plug in the, the amount of use, the number of downloads, and the cost, and produce a cost per download, um, and then arrange that in rank order. And you'll discover that some of the databases that the libraries subscribe to are infrequently used and are very, very expensive. And thus, perhaps, the library might not uh, continue that particular subscription. And then finally, a customer perspective. Um, it might have to do with customer satisfaction surveys. It might have to do with uh, the timeliness of uh, how services are delivered. Um, so there's a variety of measures. But remember, for each of these measures, for each of these perspectives, you only have two or three measures. So when the head of uh, British Airlines uh, uh, took over back in the 90s, early 90s, uh, the British Airlines was owned by the government and was probably the world's worst airline. Uh, they actually had pilots that would fly from city A to city B, and they would actually fly to city C. And then go, oops, I guess we arrived at the wrong airport. Sometimes the wrong country. I mean, it was the world's worst airline. Lost baggage was, you know, customer service was atrocious. I mean, everybody had an attitude. You know, you, you had a job for life, you worked for the government, right? Um, so they... they uh, they sold it to private uh, entity, and the new chairman of the board 
had to come up, he felt like he had to come up with one measure for organizational success. Now, here's a real challenge for you as a librarian. What would be your one measure of organizational success? Now, for British Airlines, he decided on-time departures was the most important um, measure. And he had a, a standing order that every manager in every country at every airport that British Airlines flew in and out of, that if a flight was more than 15 minutes late, they were to call him on his cell phone. 24 hours a day, didn't make any difference, wake him up if he was asleep and say, this flight is late because the food's not here, uh, we got a mechanical problem, we didn't get people on board on time, whatever the case may be, explain why. And he says, if, if the plane is more than 15 minutes late and you don't call, you're fired. So he fired 10 people before all the managers figured out he was serious, right? <laughs> And that on-time departure was real important, right? <laughs> and so slowly, over the course of several years, uh, British Air became one of the best airlines uh, in the world. So there's six ways, six steps of implementing a balanced scorecard. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, first is the mission vision thing, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, and then strategy. Now, most libraries, when they do strategic planning, really don't grasp the meaning and use of the word strategic. And so strategic planning really becomes down an exercise in setting goals and objectives without examining strategies. And I think strategies are very, very important. Then you select some uh, performance measures. You establish some targets. You figure out whether you're going to use any initiatives or projects to help you reach your targets. And then finally, uh, you keep it going it's not a one-time thing. It's something that you'll continue to use year after year after year. Okay? So the, the mission thing is pretty straightforward. Most libraries have a mission. Here's uh, Snow Isle uh, Regional Library up in the state of Washington. Uh, they uh, want to encourage uh, the use of the library as a physical place, and so they basically are saying, we are the living room of the, of the community. The vision thing, uh, you can have lots of different libraries have lots of different visions. Here's one, right? Um, but whatever the vision thing is, but the importance of the mission and vision, the mission is here's what we do and basically what we do it today. The, mission, the vision is where we want to be. And getting from that where we are to where we want to be is all about strategy. How do you get there? Okay. So strategy is, uh, is very, very important. And so one of the things that's important about strategy is doing more with less because you're focusing. Okay? If you really have clear strategies, it will help everybody to focus. So there's uh, three types of strategies. Uh, and it's all about uh, creating the, you know, that value proposition for, from the customer's perspective. So we can have customer intimacy. We can focus on operational excellence, and we can have innovative services. So customer intimacy. Um, many years ago, I was up in uh, Seattle, and uh, I was traveling, and uh, I had a couple hours, and I knew my wife's birthday was coming. And uh, so I walked into a store, and a young lady came up and said, can I help you? And I explained I was looking for a birthday uh, present, and, so she said, well, what are her sizes? And of course, I didn't know. 
So we went through the process of figuring out, you know, is she bigger than a bread box, smaller than an elephant, you know, all that. You know, we walked around the store, about that size, about this size, about the, you know, we looked at people, and so we finally figured it out, right? And we chose three outfits. I chose one of the three, and she, she said, okay. She went back and she wrapped up all three. And she sent them home with me and said, show your wife after she opens the present what the other two choices are. And if, you, if she doesn't like them, you know, you can send them back, no charge, uh, and I'll pay the shipping. I said, great. So I get them home. My wife opens the first present. She loves it. I show her the other two options. She loves them. She keeps them. <laughs> I've never done that again, right? <laughs> but what was that all about? That was all about customer intimacy. Now, the name of the store, of course, is Nordstrom. Now, I've never been back to the store. But Nordstrom's has extracted a lot of money out of my wallet because the young lady back in the early days would send me postcards and say, can I send you a couple of outfits? You choose, send what you don't like back. So Valentine's, birthdays, 4th of July, Christmas, whatever holiday she could come up with, she would send me postcards. I'd say yes. The stuff would arrive. I'd pick, send stuff back. And as I continued to buy over and over and over, she refined the information that she had about me and my, my, and my wife and what sizes and colors and style. And so the gifts, just, you know, they just got better and better and better over time. Right? Customer intimacy. Operational excellence. What's an example of operational excellence? Well, you think of Walmart. Now, whether you like them or you don't like them, whether you shop there or not is not really important. What they have done is revolutionize the marketplace by focusing on operational excellence, by reducing the smallest cost in the process from manufacturer, to getting it in the store, and getting it in the hands of the customers. Really, really efficient. And then innovative services uh, is another approach. So if you look at products and services, there really are five things about a product or a service that are important. Quality, availability, selection, functionality, and price. So if I go to Walmart, what am I going to get? I'm going to pay low price. I'm not going to get a wide selection, am I? I'm going to get one or two options uh, for whatever it is that I'm looking for. So I'm not getting a great deal of selection. Typically, they're popular brands. So that's a, one, that's a value proposition that Walmart has put together. Contrast that with uh, Nordstrom's huge selection, lots and lots of options, right? Is price uh, an issue? No. You pay typically top dollar when you, when you shop at Nordstrom's. Uh, great availability, yeah. High quality, yeah. So there's different things. And so libraries need to think about if, if they're going to focus on services, what is the mix of those attributes that they're going to deliver in terms of the service? Now, in terms of price, well, library services are free for academic and public libraries, right? School libraries. Well, they're not really because the customer incurs a cost to use the library as opposed to using the internet to get the, the same information or to order that, uh, that item or whatever the case may be and have it delivered, okay? Relationship, service, and partnering. Uh, there's an, a lot of opportunities that libraries have not explored. One of my favorite uh, examples is a public library back in uh, 
Ohio that partnered with every pizza joint in town. And they gave DVDs to all the pizza joints. So when you order a pizza, you could also order a free DVD. Now, the pizza joint had your name and address, and they'd say, do you have a library card? And if you didn't have a library card, they would give you a library card, check the DVD out to you, and say, you can return the DVD to the library or to the pizza joint. Next time you order another pizza, we'll exchange DVDs with you. We have top 20 you know, movies. You choose. Very popular partnering uh, opportunity to reach a segment of the market that you typically wouldn't employ. And then image is another, and brand is another, uh, another way of focusing on the customer. Um, a public library in, uh, in uh, London, England, decided that the brand library did not resonate with their population, which was primarily poor and immigrant. And so they actually have closed every public library in their county, and they have created what they call the idea store. And the idea store combines jobs, skills, daycare services, uh, English as second language uh, training, and uh, a, a little bit of a public library. And uh, they re repackaged it, renamed it uh, the idea store, and it's really resonating well with the community there. So they're not building on the word library and all that it implies. They decided there was too much negative uh, and so they abandoned the whole brand as library. So some very important issues uh, for the libraries to think about. So the question is, do you know your customers? Now, most, uh, if you think about it, you know, we can uh, segment by demographics and by use and market penetration, etc. Most libraries um, will achieve about a 60% penetration of marketplace. Um, and for the customers that have library cards, 80% of the activity is going to be um, uh, focused on 20% of the customers. So 20% of the customers will account for 80% uh, of your circulation, use of the library, coming to programs, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? The interesting thing is there's a whole bunch, there's a whole segment here of lost customers. And a lost customer is somebody that has found the library got a library card, and has never come back. And libraries, over the course of four to five years, lose 100% of their uh, registered uh, customers. They become lost customers. And there's uh, some research that demonstrates that if you come to the library once, you have to come back at least 20 times before you become a regular library user. And libraries do very, very little about lost customers. They never send follow-up emails saying, we notice you haven't been to the library in six months. Here's some new services. The only thing that libraries do is after three years, what do they do? They purge them from the database. That's the only thing they're concerned about, right? And database costs are really cheap. <laughs> so I think libraries could do a whole lot more in terms of uh, uh, keeping and encouraging use of lost customers. And then finally, there's, of course, non-customers who, no matter what the library ever does, um, they'll never come to the library, whatever the case may be. So it's really important to listen to customers uh, and understand, figure out ways of uh, developing and listening to the voice of the customer. 
Uh, customer satisfaction is neither an outcome or an output. Um, it really is a qualitative assessment of library outputs. So as you use the library, it's kind of an artifact uh, perception that uh, people build up over the course of time. Um, but I've heard a lot of librarians saying, well, um, customer satisfaction is an out output or an outcome. Well, it's, it's neither. Internal perspective is all about operational efficiency and uh, developing customer relationships and um, innovation. So measures of productivity do not lead to improvement in productivity unless you do something with the information. So simply measuring it and knowing what the cost per activity or the time per activity is, um, but unless you then do something with that information to change the process, uh, you'll never have improvements uh, in productivity. Learning and growth is all about readiness, and so we've got uh, competencies, um, so looking at staff skills, attitudes, uh, etc. Technology has to do, and then climate for action. And then financial perspective, we talked about the, that earlier. So if you think about strategy, there's some real fundamental things, and a few libraries have started to experiment with strategy. Now one strategy, a traditional library strategy, is how do you store a physical collection? And the answer is you store it in traditional library shelving, spine out in either alphabetical or call number order. Okay? Now one strategy is to get rid of that and not have a Dewey at all in a public library environment. And a few libraries have actually gotten rid of Dewey altogether. Now that, that's a strategy. And they have employed uh, use of bookstore categories. So that's how you find things uh, like you do in a bookstore. So that's one strategy. Another strategy is keep that stuff, uh, the traditional uh, Dewey stuff and uh, organization. But rather than relying on traditional shelving, you rely on merchandising bookstore style, uh, style shelving. So if you do that, uh, that's again a radical um, uh, strategy uh, approach. And uh, there are several libraries that have done that and very, very successful. Circulation goes way, way up uh, because people can find what they're looking for by browsing. 60 to 70% of the people coming to a library have no idea what it is they're going to walk out the door with. Other than a general, I want a DVD, I want a fiction book, I want a non-fiction book in this area, whatever the case may be, gar home and gardening, cooking, whatever. But they have no specific item in mind. And so facilitating browsing is very, very important, especially in a public library environment. Another strategy is how do, you, how do staff um, interact with customers. Now the traditional approach is you have a service desk, the librarian sits behind the service desk. That's a strategy. An alternative strategy is you blow up the service desk and staff rove. They roam around the facility and they say, can I help you? You finding what you want? Is everything okay? So strategies uh, become very, very important. And so you can use the strategy map for describing what it is that you want to do. So strategies translate what customers want into what libraries must deliver. And the answer to the question, how is the library going to deliver this particular service? So 
strategy is it really is a, is a hypothesis about what is going to drive organizational success. So we've got the mission vision thing, we've got customer requirements, we put it into this hopper that's called strategy. Strategy dictates what's the facility going to look like, what's the website going to look like, right? And then there's a customer experience, and then we can measure what the results are. So here's an example of a, a relatively uh, simple uh, sample strategy map. Uh, down here at the, the bottom, we've got some, some uh, funding coming in. Uh, we're going to improve staff skills. It's going to lead to productivity improvements. Uh, we're going to focus on getting the right collection, and then that's going to lead to customer satisfaction. Now, notice how each of the perspectives over here, the five perspectives, translated into some broad themes, and there's a relationship between the themes, each of these bubbles, right, uh, to show ultimately how we want to get up to customer satisfaction. So here's another sample one um, showing the relationships of the bubbles and stuff. And then here's a, uh, an example of the Pierce County Library System up in the state of Washington, how, they, uh, how they've come about. They've got serve the customer and uh, manage resources, et cetera, et cetera. So after you've come up with the strategies you're going to employ, then you have to think about what are the, and you've selected your performance measures, what are we going to have to do in terms of choosing targets? Well, performance measures uh, has, have got a whole set of problems with them. Number one, most libraries collect way too many performance measures, and there's no rationale for why it is you do it. For a lot of libraries, uh, it's mandated by the state. Um, it's tradition. Uh, there was a need 20 years ago, and we're still collecting that data. Okay. Uh, there's uh, entrenched or no measurement systems. Uh, there's unjustified trust in the informal feedback systems. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with librarians when I ask them about a specific customer needs, and they say, we know our customers. We interact with them every single day. I Don't confuse me with the data. I know what my customers want, right? <laughs> But the problem is they interact with a, a certain segment of their customers, not a broad uh, cross-section of all customers. And of course, performance measures, by and large, have some real fuzzy objectives. So performance measures, uh, you can look at them from a couple different perspectives. One is leading and lagging measures. If you think about input, library budget, number of staff, uh, your facilities, et cetera, um, those are input measures. But they're also a form of a leading uh, indicator of what it is you're going to get on the outcome. A lagging measure is output measures. So circulation, number of reference transactions, et cetera. Again, it's like driving in the car and looking in your, your rear view mirror. It's what's happened last month, last quarter, last year. You should have a combination of financial and non-financial. Um, and you also should uh, have some internal and external uh, measures. I'm sure that most of you have heard of the acronym SMART uh, measures. They need to be specific and measurable and actionable and really focused on measuring your strategy. Then you can select some measures uh, that reflect the, the particular strategies that have been chosen. And then once you've selected measures, then you need to select some targets. Now, there's uh, several methods that you can go about selecting uh, targets. One is the 80% rule, 
And that says, wherever, wherever you are now, in four to five years' time, we're going to be 80% better. And that's just 75%, 80%. So that's one approach. Uh, there's another uh, one that uh, is called the SWAG, and it's preferred by uh, academics, and that's the scientific wild-ass guess, SWAG approach. Um, and most organizations, when they choose targets, choose targets that are uh, too readily achievable. And there's a fair amount of literature that says that you really ought to uh, have at least one stretch target. And a stretch target is sometimes there's an acronym that's called a BHAG for a big, hairy, audacious goal. So, for example, the new library director at the Singapore Public Library came in in uh, the year 2000, and he says, we're going to select one BHAG, and I'm going to select it, and I'm going to tell you what it is. So he said, here's what it is. Currently, it takes uh, 72 hours to get the items, once they've been returned from the customer, back on the shelf. 72 hours. They had an automated circulation system, used barcodes, relied on staff manually, sorting materials, putting them on book trucks, wheeling them out, you know, the very traditional thing. 72 hours. Now, that was also a reflection of the fact that they were probably understaffed uh, because they didn't have enough clerical-level people to get materials out on the shelf. And he says, I've got a, a, a BHAG. He said, seven to eight years from now, we are going to get items back on the shelf in 15 minutes. And everybody said, you're nuts. <laughs> he says, I know. I don't know how we're going to get there, but we're going to work on it because that's now a goal. So if you go to Singapore Library, the public library today, and you walk in any branch, you, know, you notice a number of different things. But one of the things you know, most notice is there are no book trucks. Because when items are returned, they go through the automatic sorting machine, they get dumped into, not on a bin, but onto a table. And staff immediately pick them up and they walk them out because on average, items are on the shelf in less than seven minutes. Seven minutes. Now that's a BHAG, right? It took them seven years to get there, but they worked at it consistently. So setting goals, uh, in particular one or more stretch goals, can be very, very important, can be very empowering can say, boy, is that guy nuts. We're never going to get there. But today, everybody's a believer. And he set some new goals. And then finally, uh, once you've set some targets, you may uh, be interested in using some projects or some initiatives uh, to help you achieve the goals and the targets that you've uh, established. And so one of the most important things is looking at uh, what initiatives are going to have an impact on your strategies. And what are, the, what are the activities in the library that are most frequently done that you can make improvements on? So for each initiative, you identify the uh, responsible individual, the time frame, the resources that have been applied to them, uh, et cetera, traditional kind of management uh, uh, stuff. And you're always looking for ways to do three things. Simplify, eliminate, and automate. So that's my mantra, right? Simplify, eliminate, and automate. When you are looking at the activities that are going on in the library and you're asking that question, what's the value add proposition? For each of those activities in the library, you ought to be asking those three questions. Can I simplify it? 
Can I eliminate this step? Or can I automate this step? So knowing the score is not the objective, changing it is. So then we have sustaining uh, the scorecard. One of the things that uh, management can do, I've seen effectively, is that they use the scorecard to drive meeting agendas. On a quarterly basis, they look at one particular perspective and say, here's our targets, here's our current measures, how are we doing, uh, are we going in the right direction, is it going up or down, et cetera, et cetera. You can uh, work on the library in terms of developing a culture of assessment using measurements to help you manage the library that are tied to the strategies that you've selected. Uh, you can cascade uh, the scorecard, and that means after the library has developed the balanced scorecard, you can uh, roll it down into departments. Um, I was visiting a, a timeshare we have in, in Hawaii, and I walked out, and uh, the maid had her cart there, and I bumped into the cart, right? And I, I looked down at the cart, and she had a scorecard on her, on her uh, maid's cart. And so I said, oh, gee, look at that. That's interesting. What's that? And she says, oh, that's my scorecard. And I said, you have a scorecard? What do you do with it? And she says, well, here's how I measured. And she had four measured. And she says, if I get green in all four, she says, I get a bonus at the end of the month. It's a good thing. <laughs> so a couple days later, I had breakfast with the resort manager and all the department heads and the maid's manager and the maid. I insisted that we include the maid in it. And they bought... They bought uh, uh, my, my family and I uh, breakfast, and we talked about scorecards and what an impact it's had. And, and it had been cascaded all the way down to the individual employee had their own scorecard. And then, of course, you need to communicate your scorecard. So here's a, a little brochure that the North Central Regional Library up in the state of Washington put together. This is their idea of the balanced scorecard. They got all the books on one end. Uh, they got the staff member down at the other end. <laughs> Uh, here's uh, Cleveland Heights uh, in Ohio. Uh, they had uh, three uh, themes for their scorecard. And each of the books is a performance measure. And then they, they will be inserting uh, in the yellow the target. And then they're going to have a little red uh, a stoplight little thing. Red light, uh, green light, and yellow light, right? Uh, red light is we're not close to meeting it. Green light is we've, we've met it or exceeded it. Yellow light, we're getting close. So each of the performance measures that they've, they've come up with. So that's a, a way of communicating the scorecard to staff. <coughs> uh, Newport Beach Public Library had a scorecard. They put up a poster for staff. And each of the measures was a sailboat, right? Newport Beach Public Library, right? Sailboat. So they were sailing across the harbor. And so there's lots of ways of communicating. Uh, the Orange County uh, Public Library in uh, Orlando, Florida, of course, uses orange trees. <laughs> so the ingredients of a successful scorecard, uh, the scorecards, remember, uh, describe uh, ingredients of the strategy and, and organizational success. It's a process to mobilize the organization. Typically, a scorecard team is, uh, is put together for representatives from all levels of the organization. The Denver Public Library recently did something quite interesting. I helped train uh, the scorecard team, and then they broke apart the scorecard team. And they went out as scorecard evangelists and worked with groups of employees um, throughout the library. And they developed a wonderful um, scorecard, uh, starting with 
employees at the lowest level and work their way up. Uh, you can use it for uh, communication. Uh, cascading it to the departmental and individual level uh, can be really quite successful and empowering. And of course, it really aligns uh, your resources. If you have a scorecard and you've gone through this whole process, then the most important thing thereafter then is to link the scorecard to the budget. You have to change the budget uh, if you're going to really focus on the strategies that the, that the library has, has changed. So why do they fail? Uh, a lot of organizations uh, view scorecards as a one-time event, and then next year they try something else and they try something else. Uh, it's a commitment. You know, once you start down the scorecard uh, path, uh, you're going to use it year after year after year. So uh, there's little or no communication with staff is another problem. You really need to communicate with staff uh, frequently and periodically in lots of different ways so that they get it why you're doing what, what it is you're doing. Uh, results uh, in little change in the organization. The, the scorecard is ignored uh, by the director and the top management team in the library. Um, so it's not used as a, as a way to, to make change. And there's little, there's little um, attempt to understand cause and effect. If we do these things, then we expect to get these things. And that's really what you're measuring. Remember that hypothesis that we were talking about. So strategy is really all about change. And one of the important things to remember about change is everybody's eye is on you, right? A little kitty here is walking across the road, and of course all the dogs are <laughs> keeping, <laughs> keeping their eye very carefully on the cat. Um, so it's important to recognize that. So the, the Library Balance Scorecard is all about management and change first, and the use of performance measures um, is second. And there are some resources. There was an article that appeared in uh, uh, public libraries uh, a couple years ago. Um, there's lots of literature, of course, in the business press um, and in the nonprofit press about balanced scorecards. And I think you'll see more of it uh, in, in the library press in the future. So uh, thanks for uh, participating in this uh, virtual colloquium. And I uh, hope that you found the, uh, the time valuable.